come uh, every year and share with us. And, uh, we're um, looking forward to what he has to share again. There, there's a brief outline. I think he'll maybe give that to you uh, verbally since, since uh, it's not written in the form. But he's got a uh, PowerPoint. You can probably follow it. <laughs> Greg, thanks for coming. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's, it's good to be with you once again. I want to, again, thank uh, you for, as a church, being part of the Rocky Mountain District. For those of you who are not aware, you're part of an association, and uh, you're helping other churches. Uh, just because you give to the Rocky Mountain District and the ministry of the district, a few things that have happened just in the past few months. You've helped start three new churches in Colorado and, and Wyoming and the Black Hills of South Dakota. Uh, the most recent one is Douglas, Wyoming, but uh, there's one that's starting in Timnath, Colorado, and a new one that also started down in Westcliff. You're part of that. You're part of helping churches that are in conflict. There have been three in the last three months where uh, they've called upon the district to come in and help. You've helped place 15 pastors in churches that were without pastors in the past year since I've been here, and you've also helped two churches stay open that would have closed had it not been for this association. So I am very thankful to this church because you're part of all of that because you contribute to the district. Open our Father's Word, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. And as you open to Hebrews chapter 7, some of you may be familiar with the... Disney film, which is a fantasy called The Little Mermaid. In The Little Mermaid, and you're thinking, well, how does that relate to Hebrews chapter 7? I'll, I'll tie it in. Trust me on this. Um, in, in The Little Mermaid, The Little Mermaid falls in love with a prince, and there's a problem there. Well, there are several problems on several levels, but one is obviously mermaids can't walk on land, right? Well, the wicked witch, Ursula, can give the little mermaid the power to be on land. But the problem with that is, the little mermaid says, if I become human, then I'll never be able to be with my father or my sisters again. And Ursula the witch says, that's right, but you'll have your man. Life's full of tough choices isn't it? Have you noticed that, that life is full of tough choices? You have to make choices. For instance, health care. Health care has some tough choices in it. There are three elements to health care. Accessibility, affordability, and quality. Which two do you want? Well, no, I want all three, right? I can give you two out of the three, but life just doesn't work that way. Or how about food and diet? Tough choices, right? Do you want the food that you enjoy? Or do you want to be healthy and fit? I want both, sorry. Can't have it. See, that's just the way life is. Think about your life. Are there areas in your life that you've tried to conquer but haven't been able to. Things that you know disappoint your spouse or disappoint your family or 
disappoint even God. Things that you're going, I just wish I could conquer that one. But I so love the pleasure that that one brings me. (laughs) How many of you here are perfect? Raise your hand. How many of you? Okay, I've got one. Good. I'll be speaking to that later. How many of you would like to be perfect? See, life's full of tough choices, isn't it? In fact, uh, even God realizes that we as humans struggle with this issue of perfection, and that's going to be what we're going to be looking at this morning. Perfection. Want to be perfect? Can't be. Want to be acceptable to God? But there's this area of my life that I just cannot overcome. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good that I want, but I do the very evil that I don't want. Do do you identify with this? Isn't that the struggle? That's a dissonance that we have in our life, isn't it? Well, God understood that that dissonance was going to exist for us as humans. So this morning I'm going to talk about our relationship with God, which we call faith inside the box and outside the box. Choices that we have to make. The first choice is that of a temporary covenant with God. And this is faith that's contained inside the box. The temporary covenant with God is the one that we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament covenant. You can be perfect before God If when you sin, that sin is atoned for by a sacrifice, the sacrifice of a perfect animal. And then once that sacrifice has taken place, you're perfect before God until the next sin, which is when you have to go back to the altar and another sacrifice has to be made. See, the problem with the temporary covenant with God that covenant of I'll forgive you if a sacrifice is made, is that it is temporary. It's not effective in changing our condition. It's just effective in changing our position before God until we sin again. It's kind of like having toddlers in your home. Ever had toddlers in your home and you've tried to clean up the mess How effective is that if the toddler still hangs around? The mess just returns, right? You've not changed the condition. You've just changed it for a little while. Well, that habit in your life, that area in your life that I referred to earlier that you're going, I just can't conquer that. I just can't get over that. That's the toddler in your life. And it just keeps making a mess. Look at verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 8. Remember I said perfection is the theme today? It says, If perfection had been attainable 
through the Levitical priesthood, that is the Old Testament covenant, that temporary covenant with God, if that had been attainable, for under it people received the law, which tells us what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, what further need would there have been for another priest after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? And I see that this is kind of cut off. But if you look at the left side of the screen, it says the tribe of Levi, the order of Aaron. Aaron had the rights to the priesthood. It was the Levitical priesthood. But what he's saying here is that there's a new priesthood under the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was different from Aaron. Under Aaron... The Old Testament priesthood, forgiveness was given as long as you went to the temple and as long as you, there was this sacrifice for the sin. But Melchizedek was a different kind of priest. Who is this Melchizedek? Well, we're not really sure where he came from. Uh, in Scripture, there's no evidence of what his lineage is. But he was different from the Old Testament Aaronic priesthood. First of all, you couldn't in the Old Testament be both a priest and a king. But in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham comes to this this, um, priest that is called Melchizedek, and he calls him both a king. He was called the king of Salem. Salem later became known as Jerusalem. So he was a king and he was also a priest. See, the problem with the Old Testament system is it could, as I said earlier, only give you forgiveness for sin that has already taken place, but it doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't change your nature. Uh, How many of you ever tried to fly? Anybody? I mean, without a plane, right? We all have that dream, right? But you can't change your nature. You can't fly. On the other hand, ask a bird not to fly. Ask a snake not to slither. Ask a politician not to lie. You just can't change the nature of who you are. See, that was the problem with this temporary covenant with God. You can't change. So we need a different choice. God knew that. Choice two is a permanent covenant with God. A covenant not like the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, but Melchizedek changes things. Look at verse 12. When there's a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. In other words, new priesthood, new rules. Verse 13 goes on to say, The one of whom these things are spoken, and the one of whom these things are spoken is Jesus, belonged to another tribe. Just like Melchizedek was not of the tribe of Levi, Jesus also was not like the Old Testament priest. He didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. It says, from which no one has ever served at the altar. It's evident that our Lord, Jesus Christ, was 
descended from Judah, not from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses had nothing to say about the priests. So Moses, when he set up the law, the priesthood comes from the tribe of Levi. He said nothing about the tribe of Judah. Christ comes not from the tribe of Levi. He comes from the tribe of Judah. So like Melchizedek was both a priest and a king, didn't come from the Levitical priesthood, well, neither did Christ. Verse 15, this becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who's become a priest, not on the basis of the legal requirement of the Old Testament concerning bodily descent, but on the power by the power of an indestructible life. So, to the Jews... Melchizedek was more like an angel than he was a human. They, they didn't understand him. He was in this lineage of the priesthood, but he was different from what was required by the law. Well, Jesus Christ in the New Testament is being paralleled not to the Levitical priesthood, the Old Covenant, but to the Melchizedek priesthood. Verse 17, It is witnessed of him, Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what happens to the law? Well, same thing. If you keep the law, you're perfect before God. If you break the law, well, you've got to go back and offer another sacrifice. But Jesus changes that because he's a different kind of priest. He stands before God in our favor in a different kind of way. Look at verse 18. On one hand, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. See, the the former commandment, the faith inside the box, the Old Testament can only condemn you. It can't redeem you. Verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. Doesn't change your behavior. The law only informs you of what is wrong. It doesn't change your behavior. As you're driving, what is the name of the street out here? As you're driving down university, isn't the speed limit 30? 20. Oops. Okay. (laughs) And the 15 if it's in the school. And the sign, does it change your behavior? No, it just tells you what the law is, right? No, it doesn't have the power to do that. But on the other hand, better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The hope is this new priesthood, this new priest, it changes everything. For the one person who said that they are perfect, (laughs) remember I said I was coming back to this. I get this a lot when I talk to unbelievers. When you die, why should God let you into his heaven? Well, I've led a pretty good life. I Okay, how about the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten? You think you've kept those? Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, so I get a little bit deeper with them. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah. Oh, okay, so you're telling me that you're a liar, and the Ten Commandments say you shall not bear false witness. Let me ask you, have you ever used God's name in vain? <laughs> Well, I, have you ever said, oh my God? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. 
then you have used God's name in vain. That makes you a blasphemer, according to the Ten Commandments. How about have you ever lusted? (laughs) Well, okay, well, that makes you an adulterer. Have you ever wanted something that doesn't belong to you? Well, if that's true, that makes you a coveter. And have you ever hated someone? Because Scripture says that even if you've hated somebody, that makes you a murderer. So let me get this straight. You're a lying, blasphemous, adulterous, covetous murderer, but you're a pretty good person other than that, right? Do you see the problem with that temporary covenant with God? You've got to keep going back. A permanent covenant with God changes everything. In fact, it's not only a permanent covenant with God, it's a guaranteed covenant with God. And that's faith outside the box. The temporary covenant is faith inside this legalistic, rigid, I've got to have all of these sacrifices to stay perfect before God. Faith outside the box is a guaranteed covenant with God. Have you ever made a covenant with somebody? Have you ever entered into an agreement? Have they ever broken that covenant? (laughs) Have you ever broken a covenant that you've made with an agreement, right? (laughs) When when Carol and I were young married, uh, this was before children, we were excited. We, you know, we're we're building our our, uh, household. And I remember the first sofa that we ever bought. The first sofa we ever bought had a lifetime guarantee. And dumb as I was, I thought, this is the only sofa we will ever buy in our... It's got a lifetime guarantee. If it breaks, we take it back, right? Which it did in year eight. It was a sofa bed and the mechanism broke in year eight. So I went back to the place where we bought it. And I said, well, it's got a lifetime guarantee. They said, oh, well, the lifetime of a sofa is seven years. <laughs> I thought it was my lifetime. No, it's its lifetime, not your life. <laughs> Did a lot of counseling when I was a pastor. And, and, and marriage counseling, it's really interesting, and pastor will tell you this, when people come in and they no longer want to live with the spouse that they made a vow, a covenant with at the altar. Uh, You know, till death do us part. Unless (laughs) the number one excuse, you've probably heard this, I know I did, was, well, I don't love him or her anymore. Oh, oh, well then, okay, then the covenant is null and void. Is that what you said? No. Or... Uh, the number two one is, uh, I never really loved him or her in the first place. And I say, what kind of special dumb are you that you'd marry somebody that you never loved in the first? You see, we come up with excuses to break covenants. And so we wonder, can that covenant with God actually be trusted? Well, verse 20, it was not without an oath Those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. How did you get into the priesthood in the Old Testament, that temporary covenant? Well, it was by birth. You're you're born into the tribe of Levi. But this one, this new covenant with God, this 
guaranteed covenant with God was made a priest. Jesus was made a priest by an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Jesus Christ, are a priest forever. So, Faith inside the box is living according to that temporary covenant, not guaranteed. Faith outside the box is, I'm in relationship with God because of a priest who stands before me and God by an oath that was made which is permanent and guaranteed. Verse 20, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death by continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, this is the most powerful part, I think, of this entire passage. He is able to save to the uttermost. Did you get that? Your imperfection, that toddler in you, that thing that you're embarrassed about before others in the community, your spouse, your neighbors, your friends, even before God, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him because He always lives making intercession for them. So every time I blow it, if I understand this passage correctly, number one, Christ has already made that sacrifice which is required to atone for sin. And number two, he's my full-time attorney standing before me each time I sin. In fact, that's what it says in verse 26. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That answers the first issue. Perfect sacrifice for sin, holy, unstained, acceptable. And the second is he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for other people, because he died once for all to offer himself up. So why do I feel separated from God? Why do I feel bad about that imperfection in me when it takes place? Well, maybe it's because I'm living with faith inside the box instead of outside the box. I'm living with faith as a contractual relationship with God. If I do this, then you'll do that. If I keep the law, then I'm right before you. But if I don't keep the law, contract requires that a sacrifice be made. See, I have a contractual relationship with him rather than a personal relationship. The personal relationship is different because in the personal relationship, my relationship with him is covered by this new priest, by this different priest, by this one who's made the sacrifice for all time. Put up the next slide, if you would. It's the difference between the worm and the butterfly. (laughs) What? Yeah. Ask 
the worm to try and fly. He can't. He's doing it on his own. It's his own works, right? It's not until a process takes place over which the worm has absolutely no power, called metamorphosis, that transformation takes place. And once that takes place, now the worm can fly. When transformation takes place in one's life, not a contractual relationship with God, but rather a personal relationship, when I'm changed from the inside, not because of what I can do, but because of what God can do, wow, now things are different. Now I no longer have to live. Now I no longer will live under the guilt of my sin. You see, there are a lot of people walking around and even worshiping in churches this morning who have this, well, it's my works, it's, it's what I do that changes my relationship with God, the faith inside the box, rather than a transformed life. How do you get to that transformed life? It's where you say, okay, God, I can't do it, but you've already done it for me. A transformed relationship with God through Christ, faith outside that box, is one that says, yeah, I am going to work towards holiness. I want to, uh, Romans chapter uh, 11 says it this way, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and making my life a sacrifice to Him. But when that doesn't totally occur when it doesn't totally that's okay because I'm still looking at Christ I'm I'm letting my mind be renewed by his word and by prayer and by worship and by fellowship with others I caught two people in your congregation last night in a restaurant actually fellowshipping with one another see that's what it's all about it's it's being in relationship through your small groups. It's being in relationship through prayer, through the Word. And I'm letting God transform me and change me from the inside out rather than me trying to change from the outside. So the question that I pose to you this morning, where is your faith? Are you living inside the box? My faith in God is that He will save me because of my keeping the law and then coming back and making sacrifice every time I blow it? Or is your faith outside the box? Father, it is not that we have already attained perfection, but we press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of for us. We stand before you this morning not considering ourselves as yet having taken hold of that perfection, but the one thing that we do, we forget what lies behind, we strain toward what lies ahead, we press on to the goal to win the prize for which you have called us heavenward, not in and of ourselves, but rather through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we give you praise, Father, that it is not by 
reformation, us trying to do it on our own, but rather transformation, you doing it within us. We've worshipped around that theme this morning. We've, We've heard just coming to the table, forgiven not because of what we can do, but because of what you've already done. Thank you for that new priest, that new priesthood. It changes the rules, and we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.